Welcome to Moose Room, everybody. This is one of your hosts, Dr. Joe Armstrong. This week, we have a guest with us, Dr. Bradley J. Hines' grad student, Glenda Pereira. She is from someplace very interesting, and I was very fascinated with it. And because I had too many questions, we had to break this into two episodes. So the first episode is really going to be just about the Azores and where Glenda's from, where her dad is still dairying. I hope you enjoy learning about this other system and this different country. Enjoy the episode. Thank you, Glenda, for coming on. We'll follow up with Glenda next week when we continue and we'll actually talk about her research uh, that she's doing with Brad up at the University of Minnesota Dairy at the West Central Research and Outreach Center. Welcome to the Moose Room, everybody. We are here with a special guest, as you heard in the intro. Glenda Pereira is here with with us, and she's going to be talking about, first of all, where she came from and, and um, where her dad still lives in dairies, uh, which I think is very interesting. And it's kind of been described to me as the Hawaii of Europe, if that sounds about right. Um, Brad and Emily are both here. I'm sure you'll hear them chime in at some point. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, remember Glenda's my PhD grad student. Yes. That's, that's yes. Please say is that. And why she is here today. Yes. We, we have to <laughs> make sure. Exactly. Glenda is my friend. Yes. Yes. And, and Bradley, Bradley, it's important to note that Dr. Bradley J. Hines is so important that he has more than one grad student. It's very important to yes. put that out there. He's my mentor, and he's been my mentor for now six years, so that's a long time. That's a long, a time, long time, and I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> that it, it only gets worse as somebody who has dealt with him for too many years. I'm only, Linda, I'm only yeah. a year in, so it's... She oh. started as my intern, and... 2014 and we'll just we'll, yeah. we won't start there we'll start uh, after yeah, let's, that. <laughs> well let's let's go let's go even further back so glenda tell everybody where you're from so i am from a place called the azores specifically from an island called san miguel so the azores are a location in the middle of the atlantic uh, they are volcanic and there's nine islands, and the biggest industry in all of those islands, for the most part, is agriculture. So we have a lot of dairy cows, which is surprising because it's such a small place. But on the island where I'm from, which is called San Miguel, we have about 50,000 milking cows. And then in total, the rest of the islands, so including San Miguel, we have about 90,000 milking cows. That's a lot. I don't feel like that's a that's a very big place to have that many cows. Yeah, for that land base. It, it's not. And it's very surprising how we uh, make it work. But it's probably the perfect environment to grow grass, at least from the pictures I've seen. It is, absolutely. So our cows, similar to Ireland, are on grass for 365, 24-7, so we can take advantage of that. The challenge is how we do that and also um, have corn silage because we do have quite a bit. We do fit, feed supplement. We supplement the cows on grass. So we feed them corn, corn silage or haylage. So uh, farmers are very um, strategic in how they grow all of their forage and feed for the cows because it is very expensive to import anything. From the pictures I've seen, the Azores are very rolling hills, volcanic, right? Yes. Where do you grow corn? Um, <laughs> it, it's challenging, right? So uh, the way we do it is we grow corn um, after we, you know, we plant just the same as you guys do. And we try to plant it 
where you don't have a place where like you can't get a combine, right? Um, that's the biggest thing. I've seen a lot of uh, rolled over tractors, which is very scary. Uh, and, and there's places where we've done it. And then we're like, no way we can't do this another season. Um, so you just try to find and accommodate the best. That's not only for corn, but for a bale. So when you bale, which we do there, because we don't have a lot of centers for storage, hay storage. So you bale everything with plastic. Uh, there's been a lot of people who have gotten in trouble because the bale will roll off into the road where main cars drive. Because there's kind of just like one main road. Um, it's not like this rural, uh, super um, non-civilized place, but there's just one road. So the bales, you have to then, when you bale it and it's on a really steep hill, you have to move the bale to a place where it's on its side and it can't roll. That's That seems pretty labor intensive in some, some spots. Yes. So, so with that, that's probably contributes to herd size, right? Because how many cows do most people have? Yep. So on average, uh, farmers have 30 to 40 cows, with 30 being most common. Uh, there are a couple of people who have managed to have a bigger herd, so 100 to 200 cows. There's one dairy that does have 400 cows, uh, but they're in the middle of the island, and they have a lot of management to do that, and they do confine some just because of the herd size. So not yeah. not everybody uh, can do that. What What about milk? Do you have Do you have someone who comes and picks it up, like a, like we would see here in the U.S., or are you having to take it to the processor yourself because the volumes can't be massive with only 20 to 30 cows, right? Correct. So we, with 100 cows, started refrigerating and uh, having someone come pick up our milk about five years ago, but that's not common. So five years ago was the first time when we started refrigerating our own milk and had someone come pick it up right? Five years is 2015. Yeah. Um, so most people do transport it in. Some people still have horse and buggy system. So they transport it like that. With uh, milk so cans, I, right? Milk with cans. milk cans. Yeah. Yep. Actually, yep. that's cool. That's cool to think about that. It, it makes, it kind of makes me happy that there's still some place out there that does that that way. Some and, good nostalgia. Yeah. Very nostalgic. <laughs> very nostalgic. What kind of products are we making in the Azores that require that that much dairy for that small space? So we actually export a lot of it, and we we make a lot of cheese, and we package a lot of UHT ultra high treated, high um, temp, high high temp. high temp, yes, ultra high temp. Thanks, Brad. Uh, milk. So a lot of the milk we drink is shelf stable. Most of our production production is in cheese, so I think it's about forty percent of the milk we produce in the Azores is for cheese, uh, and we export a lot of it to the mainland Portugal. So, with it being that high amount of cheese, I mean, what breeds are we seeing? The Azorean farmers are very passionate about their progress in genetic, uh, their genetic progress, I should say. So, we have Holsteins. And while Big, they tall show Holsteins, I was I was expecting you to say <clears throat> jerseys or anything yeah, else. Yeah, in the pictures that you saw, did you look at any that were farming? Like, did you look yeah. up dairy farming? And yeah. most of them, you will see our Holsteins. Yes, our main breed is Holstein. 
that 400 cow dairy I was telling you about is actually a lot uh, more Jersey and crossbreds, but that is not common. As I was mentioning, the poor, the Israeli farmers are very passionate about their genetic progress. And so they have done a lot of work to import genetics from Canada uh, and use a lot of uh, CMEX sired bulls uh, because we do have a, sh a show twice a year. So that show is Holstein specific. You can't show any other breed. Huh. And you were the grand champion once. Your family was, weren't they? Yes. We've been grand champion Ooh. now four times. Four so, times. Yeah. Jeez. It's like a really big deal, right? It is a big deal. And that's what I was saying, uh, the tradition and ki kind of like how you build the culture, right? Uh, I hate to say this, but if you're not in the circle, you're not included. So it can be very hard to try and diversify when you're immersed in that tradition and culture. But some have done so, which is exciting. And a lot of the new farmers my age that will now be taking over their parents' farm have uh, dabbled in crossbreeding and other breeds, which I'm very excited about. So so what, what are your plans? Are you planning to go back and, and take over the farm or what are you thinking? That's, yeah, what are your plans? <laughs> Brad really wants to know. <laughs> Brad wants to know, but if I were to go back, Brad now has a, des a, a destination vacation. So like he's, he's not upset about it. I just want to take selfies with your dad in the pasture. That's all. Yes. My dad Brad is loves the selfie selfies. king. Yes. Yeah. He's a selfie king? He's a selfie king. And wow. usually he's sometimes shirtless, sometimes not. Um, so, so where we're located, and if anyone wants to look this up later, is 10 minutes from a place called Setsidaj, where it's this two really beautiful lagoons and based on the microbes that are that are growing in that lagoon one's blue and one's green and it's uh, sort of like you you know a place where everybody visits so there's a lot of tourism and there is a possibility for us to build a small education center about agriculture in the azores and that would be like a perfect stop so my family maybe wants to invest in something like that. There is help from the government because tourism is a big thing to a place like the Azores, because similar to Hawaii, um, you know, they do make a lot of money off of the tourism. But, you know, that's a big uh, adventure to go on. So yeah. uh, there, there's a lot to think about within the next year, because that's when I plan to finish grad school is within the next year. Um, to decide if I do want to do that. So I wouldn't be taking over. I would obviously help, but I, w I would have kind of my own side project, which I would really like because we can sometimes butt heads. My uncle and I, um, he runs the dairy. My dad certainly helps, but my uncle um, kind of leads all of the projects and everything on the dairy. There won't be Holsteins there anymore if you go... <sighs> You're, you're, I guess we should probably start asking every guest what their what their breed is, their breed of cow. It seems like we, we talk about yeah. breeds all the time. All the time. And we, well, we just finished up genetics, so maybe that's what it is. But all right, what's your favorite breed, Glenda? I have a passion for Normandies. Normandies. Whether they're crossbred or purebred, uh, I really like 
them as a breed. And I think they would fit perfectly in a place like the Azores. You know, we make a lot of cheese. They have high fat and protein. Um, they can do well on a low input system, which would be beneficial because, you, you know, I don't want to see the bills of these dairymen that spend uh, so much money on grain for these, you know, six foot four Holsteins. Um, it's certainly, you, you know, they maximize production with the Holsteins, but the bill for the grain bill is certainly something that I would be scared to see in yeah. a place like the Azores when you can maximize uh, production with breeds in a low I, input system. I think that's why I was so surprised by the Holstein thing, because I, I when I think of a grazing animal in a system that I would like that, that I was reading about and you're telling us about, I think of wanting the most efficient animal possible and for the most part tall show style holsteins do, do not fit the efficiency model i don't know i we've talked about it before i like jerseys brad likes jerseys emily's the sole holstein person just fine we still we let her be on the podcast still but that's okay <laughs> yeah well you know what my true favorite breed is i don't dutch belted Oh, that's oh, right. That's right. I'm going to milk 40 of them. 40 Dutch belted. That's what she wants <laughs> to Just a bunch of Oreo cows. <laughs> yeah. So, Cookies all right. Well, green dairy. It's interesting. Uh, uh, although one interesting fact, you know, I, I worked uh, in California a long time ago. A lot of the dairymen out there are actually from the Azores. Not as many from Glenda's Island, but from uh, some of the other islands uh, in the Azores. So it's, Kind of interesting uh, how a lot of dairymen and dairies in California were families that had moved to the U.S. from the Azores. Neat little fact: Are there many Pereiras out in California? I don't see. I don't hear that name very often when I'm out there. But yes, and there is one big dairy in California, but they changed the way they spelt their name. They change it to how it sounds and is pronounced. So they spell it P-A-R-R-E-I-R-A, uh, -E I think. And that's not how you spell Pereira. When everybody butchers your name or calls you Periera every time, I can see why changing your name might be helpful. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Is, there, is there anything else you want to tell us about, about uh, the homeland, Glenda? I, I, what I really want is for people to go look it up on Google, search a little bit about it, learn a little bit about it. It's a magical place, and there's an island called Flourish, and it really felt like a Jurassic island. It was just this crazy place, and there's this moss wall in the middle of the island that holds enough water for days on end, and you just squeeze into it, and it just pours water. That's it was cool. just this crazy place. The pictures just seem like tropical, kind of mysterious. There seems yeah. like there's always fog, it looks like at least. Yes. Yep. So cool. in the winter months, while we don't have snow, uh, it, it is there is a bit of fog and humidity. And that's something we have to deal with, you know, when you're going to get, a, get cows <laughs> at 5 a.m. and you can't see... Uh, the hand in front of you, uh, it makes uh, dairying interesting. Oh, I forgot. I forgot about that. It's kind of related. Uh, how yes. do you milk? How do you milk cows? Tell us how most people milk cows. I know your family has a parlor now. But... Oh, yes. 
So it is very common for dairy farmers to own a mobile uh, milking parlor. So basically you can set it up anywhere and you just transport it to where your animals are. It can be anywhere from two to nine cows is usually the type of mobile milking parlors that we have. And you put grain in so that the cows come in to eat the grain and then you transport the milk. If you don't have a parlor or even with a mobile milking parlor for a long time, we had to transport the milk. You know, there's like a, a little tank in the back of a truck or in a little tractor or even milk cans. People still ride their horse and buggies and transport the milk that way. So there's lots of creative ways that we make grazing, milking, farming work. I mean, it's that's always just fascinating to me. I never, I never could picture anyone in the U.S. like going out and setting up a parlor in the middle of the pasture and just somehow milking cows. That's really really cool. Okay, we should get to the real reason we had you on today, which is to talk about some of your research and the projects that you're doing. Uh, with Brad as your advisor, mentor, uh, Dr. Bradley J. Hines. Sorry, I keep forgetting to say his full name when I talk about him, and he's doing important <laughs> How stuff. How dare you? I know, I know. And I forgot to share one of the most important stories, guys. Uh-oh. So you'll have to add this back in. I'm sorry. That's okay. But in 2013, I had met Les Hansen in the Azores, at a meeting that the the herd association there set up and Les was talking about Brad's research from California and being a few of the people who speak English at this event I approached Les and was very, was very inquisitive about research and what they were doing here at the University of Minnesota and that is actually how I got in contact with Brad so the Azores is a magical place. Yeah, that's <laughs> such a weird, small world coincidence. Mm-hmm. That's cool. So then you got all the bread, you came here, you became an, an intern first. And yep, in 2014. 2014. And then... That's all we have for today. Sorry about the sharp cutoff, but we're going to continue with Glenda next week when we talk more about her research and what she's learned about monitoring technology up at the University of Minnesota Dairy at the West Central Research and Outreach Center. If you have questions for us, ideas, comments about the show, scathing rebuttals, you know what to do. Catch us at the Moose Room at umn.edu. That's T-H-E-M-O-O-S-R-O-O-M at umn.edu. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next episode. First. Somebody pause her. She's the host. I can't, I can't mute her. I have all the power. <laughs> all right. Sorry, I'm done. I'm done. Okay.